Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 today on cornerstone connection with pastor gary hamrick what haggai's actually saying to them is there's a correlation when you deny God the resources he's given you, you will suddenly find your own resources lacking. You know, it is amazing that when we offer the little we have to God, how he does much compared to what we think we can do when we hold on to a lot. And so Haggai ties this together. He says, do you see how just you are impacted materially because you are denying God his, his rightful due and his rightful honor? There are many examples in the Bible of God allowing bad things to happen to His people so they will turn from their selfish lifestyles and turn back to God. The same is true in this book. The prophet Haggai is connecting the fact that the Israelites' lack of honoring God is directly correlated with the lack of provisions they have. Have you seen God work that way in your life? In today's message, Pastor Gary will explain that the book of Haggai is about putting God first over your own interests. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Haggai as he begins his message, Look Beneath the Surface. here in the book of Haggai. Haggai is number 10 out of the 12 minor prophets as we round out the Old Testament. The last 12 books of your Bible known as the minor prophets. These are prophets who were not less important than the other prophets, but just that their writings were generally shorter. Haggai's book here, you'll notice only two chapters long. So he is one of the minor prophets. His name in Hebrew is spelled with a C-H, it just is that H sound, so it's Haggai. Haggai is his name, it's from the Hebrew word Hag, which means feast or festive. And he prophesies in 520 B.C., and we know because he specifically dates his prophecy here for us during the reign of King Darius. He prophesies in 520 B.C. to the Jewish people, now they're back in Jerusalem After they've returned from their exile in Babylon, we're going to talk about that and understand it historically so that we can frame it properly. His ministry spanned less than four months. Again, because he dates it so specifically, there are four oracles that he gives us in two chapters. And so his ministry spans from August the 29th until December the 18th, 520 BC. The book of Haggai and the events mentioned here all fit within the book of Ezra. So earlier in your Old Testaments, you had the book of Ezra, 
Everything about Haggai fits within the book of Ezra. That is key because we're going to use Ezra as a commentary on the book of Haggai as we look together at these two chapters. But what we're going to see from these two chapters is a prophet Haggai who has a passion, he is passionate about seeing his people rise from the ashes of exile and become once again the light to the nations that God has intended. The main theme of this book is Haggai coming to motivate the Jews to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem. And so it'll make more sense as we go through this book together, but let me start here in chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 11 verses from chapter 1 and then five verses from chapter 2. So here we go, chapter 1 of Haggai, verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you, when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Jump over to chapter 2, verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came to Hag by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. And be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. And work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. The last three books of the Old Testament, and we're into it now, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the last three books of the Old Testament are known as post-exilic prophets. What exactly does that mean? Starting with Haggai and including Zechariah and Malachi, these three books that round out the Old Testament are known as post-exilic. So let me explain what that means. And in order to explain it, I, I'm going to have to give a timeline so everybody understands the chronology of events. When the Jewish people were rebellious against God, when they were worshiping idols instead of the true and living God, 
when they were rebelling against him, God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to turn them from their evil ways and turn them back to God. But unfortunately, the people refused to listen to prophet after prophet after prophet. So what God does instead then to get their attention is he brings a foreign army from what today on a map would be Iraq. He brings the Babylonian empire and he brings them to Jerusalem to besiege Judah, which is the southern kingdom of of Israel. Now you might ask, why would God bring a foreign nation to come against his own people? Doesn't he love his people more than that? Well, the fact is because he loves his people, he's, he's going to reach them with another method because they're not responding to the prophets. So he's resorting to bringing a foreign army to get their attention because of their rebellion and their sin and their idolatry. So the year is, I'll just march through this timeline with you, the year is 606 B.C. God brings the Babylonians and they besiege Judah, which again is the southern kingdom of Israel, and Jerusalem is the capital city. They come in full force in 606 B.C. For the next 20 years, they will besiege Jerusalem and the surrounding cities and villages until 586 B.C. when they will capture Jerusalem and they will destroy the temple of God in Jerusalem. Now, over the course of those 20 years, from 606 B.C. to 586 B.C., the uh, Babylonians deported tens of thousands of Jews from Israel to Babylon, about 900 miles away, in again what is modern Iraq. So over the course of these 20 years, tens of thousands of Jews are being taken captive and deported back to Babylon. They will spend 70 years there. God had already predetermined it to be 70 years, that they are to be on this time out where God's going to get their attention. And two things that he's principally going to deliver them from are idolatry and a monarchy, because they worshiped idols, and he would purge them of idolatry. And when they would come back to Israel, they would no longer worship idols. And he also purged them of a monarchy. Now, it's a modern method of government, I understand, but among God's people, he wanted to be their king, and they didn't want God to be king, and so they adopted kings of the foreign nations around them so that they would not be under a theocracy, and God allowed them to have kings, but it wasn't his best intention. This was their deliberate way of trying to get out from God being their king. When they come back, they will no longer be a monarchy. In fact, even today, the form of government that Israel has is not a monarchy. And so God is going to purge them of a few things over those 70 years. But then God is going to move on the heart of a new king, King Cyrus of Persia. The Persians and the Medes overthrow the Babylonian Empire. And in 538 BC, King Cyrus of Persia allows the Jews to return to their homeland and to rebuild the temple. It really is the move of God on this pagan king's heart. He allows the Jewish people, they have favor with him. He lets them go back to Israel and they start to rebuild their lives and their city and the temple of God. And in 536 BC, they lay the foundation for the temple. Why? Because it was destroyed in 586 BC when the Babylonians first came. So 536 BC, when they get back in the homeland, they lay the foundation of the temple of God. And thus, 70 years between 606 BC and 536 is their completed sentence. For 70 years, they had been sentenced. And now God allows them to go back to their homeland. They're on probation. And Haggai is their parole officer. Does everybody understand what's happening now? So they've been let out of jail. They get to go home. uh, But they're still on probation. And Haggai comes 
as the parole officer, and Haggai will come in the year 520 B.C., 16 years after they laid the foundation stones of the temple. Now, consider this. As soon as they lay the foundation of the temple in 536 B.C., they abruptly stopped building the temple. They just suddenly stopped the building project, and the building project lies dormant for 16 years until Haggai shows up in 520. And Haggai is going to challenge them and encourage them to build for 16 years. Without the temple of God, there's been no worship of God. There's been no temple sacrifices. There's been no spiritual life because there's been no temple, and all those things revolved around the temple. And so when Haggai first comes to them, brought to them by God in 520 BC, he challenges them. Look back in your Bibles here at Haggai chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And Haggai says in verse 3, then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your parceled, rather in your paneled houses, and this temple to lie in ruins? Is Is this right for you? to be in your nice paneled houses while the temple of God is still in ruins. You haven't been building that for 16 years. What's the deal here? And we've actually find out from the book of Ezra that the paneling that they used for the interior of their homes was imported from Lebanon and it was originally intended to be used to panel the interior of God's house. And instead of using it to panel the interior of God's house, they had confiscated it for the use in their own homes. And so Haggai comes to them, and in the words of Dwight, he's like, what are you doing? What's going on here? What, what are you doing? This, what, you have taken the paneling intended for God's house. You're paneling your own houses, and you're busy building your own homes and establishing your livelihoods. All the while, God's house remains in ruins. What is going on here? And so he challenges them. And Haggai actually connects, if you noticed with me when we were reading through chapter 1, He connects their lack of honoring God with their material lack. In chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, that's what he means when he says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. You ever felt like that, that as soon as you make your, you know, your, your income for your job, it just is like, it, it's, it's, it's put in, a, in, in some kind of a bag with holes in it, it just goes right through. Like, I just made this and now it seems to be suddenly gone. Like, like on a trip to Costco, you know how that feels? <laughs> you ever gone into Costco just for eggs and milk and you came out with a thousand dollars worth of stuff? You think, what, what just happened here? I just wanted eggs and milk. Anyway, What Haggai's actually saying to them is there's a correlation. When you deny God the resources he's given you, you will suddenly find your own resources lacking. You know, it is amazing that when we offer the little we have to God, how he does much compared to what we think we can do when we hold on to a lot. And so Haggai ties this together. He says, do you see how just you are impacted materially because you are denying God his, his rightful due and his rightful honor? 
And then in addition, at the end of chapter 1, God says, it says that he brings a drought upon the land. Why? Because God's trying to use all these things to get their attention. You're back in the land, God's saying to them, I brought you back in the land. You're here by my hand, by my mercy, and yet you're not giving me the priority that, that I deserve. And so thus, there are things lacking in your own life because I'm trying to get your attention in that regard. Now, there are a couple of different angles that you can take in approaching the study of the book of Haggai. One of the angles that I've typically taken over the years whenever I've taught through the book of Haggai is the whole idea of misplaced priorities. And that clearly is um, a lesson to be drawn out of the book of Haggai. Uh, The people had misplaced their priorities. Um, For 16 years, the temple of God had been still lying in ruins while they went about their own business, building their own homes, building their own livelihoods, having family and career and all this kind of stuff, and, uh, and they had misplaced their priority. They, they, there's clearly an element of that in this story where they had not really given God his rightful place in their lives and his rightful due. But there's another angle to this story, and quite honestly, I've, I've never taken this angle before, but I was challenged in, in my prep time for this story, and in some ways I feel that perhaps when I get to heaven I may have to apologize to some of the people in this story, because over the years... I've really hammered the whole idea of they misplaced priorities, they didn't make God first, they went about their own lives doing what they jolly well wanted to do, all the while God's house remained in ruins, those people just didn't understand priorities, and I would use it, not in a self-serving way, in a way to apply it to all of us, because that'll preach in Loudoun County. And the idea that sometimes we can get so busy with our own lives and so caught up in our livelihoods and our careers and our ambitions and all this kind of stuff that we don't make God priority and and we don't focus on the work of the Lord and, and the kingdom of God and all that kind of stuff. That will preach, and I understand that, and I have preached that. But I think in some ways I may have to apologize to some people in this story one day because... Quite honestly, and here's the other angle that we can take, and this is the approach I'm going to take in in the study here of Haggai. Okay, they stopped building suddenly and abruptly, and for 16 years the temple of God went without being rebuilt. But I, I think we should stop and ask, and here's the angle we're going to take, why? Why did they stop building? You know, for years, I would just hammer the principle home, misplaced priorities, misplaced priorities. And I never stopped and really asked, why? Why did they stop building? Was it purely for selfish reasons? Did they get lazy and give up? Is it as simple as lacking right priorities? We need to dig a little deeper here and ask, why? Now, let me illustrate this and tell you why it's important for us to do this. I heard about this, and I don't know if this is a, a true story or just, you know, something I, I heard it as an illustration, but I share it with you as an illustration either way. I heard this story about a man who was a widow, and he was living alone, and he would often sit out on the front porch of his house, and people in the neighborhood would walk by and always wave and give him a smile and have a little conversation with him. But then the neighbors, as they would walk by, began to notice that the old man hadn't cut his lawn in a while, and now his lawn was overgrown and weeds everywhere. And so HOA got involved and sent him a violation. Like you you don't have your lawn manicured and you're making the rest of the neighborhood look bad and you need to get out there and mow your lawn. And 
And then people began to notice that his mailbox was overflowing and a bunch of newspapers were delivered on his driveway that he had never gathered. And so he got more HOA violation notices about that stuff, like get the newspapers off your driveway and, you know, mow your lawn and all this kind of stuff. But nobody stopped to ask why. Until one day somebody finally decided we need to call the police. The police came, broke into his house and found that he had been dead for a few weeks. And see, nobody offered to find out why was his lawn overgrown. They were just bothered by it. And nobody asked why was mail overflowing from his mailbox and newspapers lying on his driveway. They were just bothered that they were. I think it's easy for us to read the book of Haggai and just get bothered at their misplaced priorities and think to ourselves, okay, we need to get our priorities right. It's easy just to look at this and to get bothered that that they had misplaced their priorities, that they had put God on hold while they attended to their own busy lives. But I think what we need to do is to stop and ask why. Why did they suddenly stop building? What might be going on under the surface that we don't know about? Before we judge them for being lazy and unmotivated with misplaced priorities, let's dig a little deeper here, deeper here and find out why. Now, fortunately for us, we have a commentary on the book of Haggai, because as I mentioned, the book of Haggai and all the events of Haggai fit within the book of Ezra. And Ezra gives us the backstory. Ezra tells us why they stopped building. Ezra tells us why for 16 years the house of God would remain in ruins. I'm going to read a little bit from Ezra. You don't need to turn there, or you can if you want. I'm going to read from Ezra chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, so we can get the perspective here and the backstory on why they stopped building. So in Ezra chapter 4, this is what it says in verse 1. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses, and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. And we have sacrificed to him since the days of Azaradon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Now, wait a minute. The Bible says these are adversaries of the Jewish people. They're claiming, while the Jews were in captivity, to have been there in the land offering sacrifices to God. Hold on a second. There's no temple. How are you offering sacrifices to God? Listen, this is just their way of trying to infiltrate the ranks here. These are adversaries of the Jewish people. So Zerubbabel, who's the governor during this particular time, he's on to them. And he says there in Ezra 4 verse 3, But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. And then it says the people of the land, the adversaries, tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. This went on for years. They were just continually harassing and discouraging and frustrating the Jewish people, in their attempt to build the house of God. Furthermore, it says in the rest of the book of Ezra 
That in addition to discouraging them and frustrating them, did you hear what I just said? That they hired counselors. They hired counselors. What does that mean? It means they hired attorneys. They hired attorneys. That's what the Bible is saying. You know how today with respect to a lawyer in a courtroom, we call them a counselor. They hired attorneys to issue a legal injunction to prevent the Jews from building the temple of God. The warnings and prophecies found in the minor prophet books can be intense, but they remind you of one thing. God is patient. He doesn't exact judgment on those who have sinned immediately. Instead, God shows mercy. He gives you ample time to come to Him in repentance, handing the wrongs you've committed over to Him and letting His love restore you. Because of that love for His creation, God sent His only Son to die on the cross in your place, taking your sins with Him. Jesus' death provides you the opportunity at a new life and forgiveness for all your wrongs. Are you ready to come to Jesus in repentance today and receive this grace? We'd like to talk more with you, so please give us a call at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. We also want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45 a.m., as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. If you're not able to be with us in person, we do offer each service online as well. Again, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to connect. Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary's message, and we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know, but still you know. you're not.